Hello and welcome to Revise, Rebut and Resubmit, a podcast that explores early career researchers' experiences in publishing their first academic paper and which celebrates this important milestone. My name is Jennifer Fitchett and I'm an Associate Professor of Physical Geography, an avid science communicator and a still relatively young academic with a passion for breaking down the barriers and unnecessary mysticism in the publication process. Each episode, I interview a new person on their journey in writing, revising, rebutting, resubmitting, and having their first academic paper published. This podcast is very kindly supported by the DSI-NRF Center of Excellence for Paleosciences. Mauro Lorenko is a PhD student at the University of the Witwatersrand, exploring the peat dynamics and paleoenvironmental history of peat in the Angolan Highlands, which host the source waters of the Okavango Delta. Before starting his PhD, Mauro did a master's degree on a quite different topic, exploring acid mine drainage in the Blackboss Sprate wetland in South Africa, from which his first academic paper was published. Mauro is also an active science communicator, writing as one of the South African Young Academy of Science 2021 blogging team. Welcome, Mauro. It's very exciting to have you on this podcast. Thank you very much, Jane. Um, very happy to be here. Uh, my first podcast, so looking forward to it. Wonderful. So to get started, Mauro, um, I briefly mentioned in the introduction that you've written a paper on acid mine drainage in the Blackboss Sprate wetland. And do you want to just give us a quick overview of what the paper was, what it explored, and where you published it? Okay, great. Yes. Um, so that was part of my master's project. Um, it was converted basically from a very giant dissertation into into a, a research paper. Um, it, from a lot of the work that I had done in the masters had to really be cut down and, and that was part of the process. Um, I did go through my supervisor a little bit um, about what would you'd be talking about or, or how this, the paper would be structured. Um, but it was really a, a whole learning process in the beginning because I would often do a draft and it would be like, okay, you're writing way too descriptively. You're not getting to the point. Uh, it's, you know, your writing is, uh, you know, it's, it's not what we want to see. It's not effective science communication. And so that was a lot of the learning process was, hey, I think you need to stop repeating this. Or, hey, I, need to, I think you need to, you know. So it was a few drafts. I did get the opportunity to, to write it for myself. Um, but in the, in the very beginning, I was directed of what kind of data we're going to put in and what was the overall story, which I think really helped because uh, without that data and story, I think it's, it, you know, you'll just be lost throughout the whole process. Yeah, I think you're picking up on some really, really important points. Um, and I definitely want to delve deeper into each of those. Uh, but let's start off with the celebration. So where did you publish the paper and which, uh, when did it come out? Where, where can people find it? Okay, so the paper is published in Water SA. Uh, it's a local journal um, for South Africa, and you can find it on Google Scholar. You just type in the keywords like this box spray or um, acid mine drainage, or you can just put Mara Lorenka and it will be there. Uh, it was published at the beginning of 2021, and yeah, it was, uh, you know, the review process did take a lot longer than I expected. Um, and I did get, you know, accepted subject to to some kind of revisions and in, in one case major and the other case mi uh, minor 
Um, but yeah, it, it is there and it's, it's exactly the way I wanted it and my images are looking really cool and these kinds of things are, are really exciting to see when you go and click. I mean, I think I've Google searched it more than anyone else. So. Well, that's really brilliant, Mauro, <laughs> and a huge congratulations. Um, not Thank many you. people do actually publish work from their masters. Uh, it's a requirement for a PhD in South Africa to have published at least one paper before you can submit. Uh, but publishing from your master's really is a very huge achievement and it demonstrates the quality of the work that went into your master's dissertation. But it also really captures the level of perseverance from your side. Um, you've already mentioned the many drafts before the first uh, submission mm -hmm. went in and then the review process and the revisions thereafter. Um, and so I just want to, to take a small moment to pause and really say congratulations to you because this is a huge achievement and certainly something that, that should be celebrated. So very well done, Maro, on publishing work from your masters. Thank you very much. Uh, I do remember uh, the day it was published and, you know, um, I remember my supervisor at, at the time, Chris Curtis, you know, he took a photo of his, uh, what he was drinking. And I had happened to have the same bottle at home and we were basically drinking together. Um, even though, yeah, we weren't together, I, you know, he phoned me and he was just really happy. And he said it was his first publication in water essay as well. And he always wanted to publish there. Um, and so it was like, you know, really, really cool. Um, I would tell my parents, um, I'm not the first person in my family to publish because my brother also published his masters. Um, I think he's, I don't actually know what journal it's in, but it was uh, <laughs> not the first one to publish in the family. But yeah, he, he made more of a deal, of, he made like no deal about it at all during his time. He was like, yeah, whatever. Um, but for me, it was like, okay, you know, guys, I really did this. I'm really proud of this. And, you know, I want to show everyone. And um, just to speak thereafter, um, and maybe we'll ask these questions, but. Um, from there, a lot more kind of, okay, you know, Mara, we heard you wrote this, or Mara, and it was a lot more like, oh, okay, I'm actually rec being recognized in the community, which is great, which is really cool. Yeah, it's really amazing. And I think first, just to touch on the fact that um, such a wonderful supervisor to phone you up and really celebrate yeah. that moment with you and, and to recognize that it's a moment for him as well. Uh, again, I think in academia, people are so quick to sit in their own bubbles and uh, in the hierarchy of academia, early career researchers and students normally sit quite low down. Uh, I likewise was very fortunate to have supervisors who really celebrated these moments. And I'm so glad that you had that experience too, because it makes such a difference. And even during a pandemic to sit and, and text each other pictures saying we're having a drink together virtually, I think that makes such a big difference to say to you that this is actually a really important milestone and a huge accomplishment and something that's worth celebrating. Uh, but then also, as you say, that amongst the scientific community, having that that solid output against your name does mean that people then put name to work and i think that that's a really important thing that you've picked up on um, and it again it feels so amazing when somebody says to you i've read your work um, i think i tweeted many years ago when somebody who i'd cited for years and years and years i met at a conference and she'd said to me that she'd read my work and i nearly fell over because to me we're a small fish in this massive pond and you can't imagine that 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 work is getting to people so that's really wonderful to hear. And I think these supportive environments are so critical to being able to encourage you to carry on on that path. And um, 
as you said, your brother published a paper and didn't really make a big deal of it. And I think that that also speaks to when acad academia or the academic path is really your calling, that you notice the significance of this and you really want to celebrate it for yourself, but also then to continue in that process. So I just want to circle back to, to a couple of things that, that you've mentioned already about the writing process and, and the revision process. Um, and to start off with, I want to, to ask at what point during the writing process did you decide on the journal that you'd be sending it to? And how did you go about making that decision? So you, you mentioned that you published in Water SA, which is a local journal um, and a very good local journal. How did you come to that decision as opposed to this huge plethora of journals that exist in the world? Um, and, and who was involved in making that decision? And how did you go about doing that? Okay, so yeah, it, it was, to be honest, it was not really my decision. It wasn't something that I had much knowledge of anyway. Uh, I, I couldn't tell, you know, which one was good or bad at the time. I was very, very much okay. Didn't really know about impact factors. Didn't really know about an international audience versus a local. And that is only after the review process where they ask questions of the reviewers. Does this relate to an international audience? And does this have these? So that specifically with, with regards to what journal, it was very, um, you know, from my supervisor, this is what this is the journal that I'm thinking it would go into. Um, so although I'm the first author, it's you know it's it was uh, Professor Chris Curtis's like you know this is I think where it should go. Um, yeah, so that's that's how it was. And along the way of writing, I I had read the instructions for Waters and wrote it for those instructions. So I had I had no other versions to go by. And I think that's, again, a huge accomplishment. Um, my first paper that was eventually published actually ended up being the second paper published because it had spent so long in the review process. And I think it was published in the sixth journal that I sent it to because it was just rejected journal after journal after wow. journal. Okay. Um, and so it really is a huge accomplishment to have a paper published in the first journal that you send it to. And uh, I think it, it speaks in part to a really good call on your supervisor's part um, as to which journal would be the best fit for that particular piece of work. Um, and I think it, it's a very common experience that when you are just out of your master's, all of these things around impact factors and uh, accreditation lists and all of the rest are completely foreign. It's, it's not even something we know we don't know. Um, it's not yeah. a known unknown. It's, it's just mm -hmm. off our radar. And um, that is where it becomes really important to take guidance from a supervisor uh, and then have the chance to learn those things down the line. Um, so I know from insider knowledge uh, that you have submitted a second paper uh, from your PhD for publication. And there you did have a much greater role in choosing the journal. So how did you go about then understanding this weird language of impact factors and accreditation lists and how has that changed from, from your first paper to your second paper in terms of taking greater leadership in selecting the paper and the journal that you're sending it to? So yeah, I mean, exactly that. So with time, I think you just get to know, you know, kind of what's the better, or the, you know, the stronger papers or, you know, the, the, the wider reach that they have, which is regards to the impact factor. 
And I also think just reading the reviewers' comments about you know, international relevance was something I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not just writing for you know, South Africans or I'm not just writing. These things have broad implications for the whole world. And that was really like, okay, you know, you can, you can write for an international audience because that's really what they want. Um, and then with regards to the second paper, it, it was something that uh, through our discussions as well, my supervisor and to uh, the other supervisor, Professor Stefan Woodhorn, it was really that what I was picking up is this is something, you know, this is quite an important study. It's, you know, with regards to the peatland coverage in Angola. Um, and every time we would uh, chat to someone or they would email us or whatever, we'd like to to see your work, it means, okay, and these guys are from all over the world. So we have to think a little bit more clearly about where we're going to publish. Um, and so, yes, definitely with regards to that second paper, it was like, okay, you know, what kind of reach can we, can we get into, you know, what kind of audience do we want to, to, to submit to? Um, uh, and yeah, so that was just the thinking with that. Um, and, and yeah, it's just been a progression from there. Um, a lot of it, I, I attended a, like a how to write a paper. Um, and that was just one of the main topics of discussion was understanding your audience, understanding who's going to read it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just how that progressed. Yeah, and I think that's really valuable, these types of workshops that can unpack all of that information because it is in a sense a toolkit that you need to know how to go about thinking about who your target audience is. Does that match with the aims and scope of the journal? What is the impact factor? Why does the impact factor matter? And there's a lot of discussion about impact factors perhaps not being the best metric or, or that we shouldn't try and find a quantitative metric. Um, issues around whether it's open access or not, issues around whether it's international or local, um, which in the age of Google Scholar, local works are read internationally. And, and you spoke to the fact that your reviewer for this local journal was speaking to the international reach. And I think that is important because it's not uh, a case anymore that you are being posted each month's issue of a journal and reading it hard copy or going to fetch it from your library, you can Google search words on, on Google Scholar or on Web of Science and you can pick up papers from anywhere in the world that might be international or might be local. And they might be local in focus but published in an international journal or international in focus and published in a local journal. So I think that those writing workshops are really useful in trying to understand this language and um, unpack that toolkit. But also, as you say, that these are things that just come with practice and that in conversations that take place, you start to pick up that there's quite a significance to the selection of the journal or that we need to really critically think about how important a paper is and what place it will hold in, in a community of academics who might be reading it. So again, to, to circle back, um, you spoke quite a bit about the process of writing up the paper and understanding, you used the word science communication, which I think is brilliant because often we think of science communication as being popular science communication, but academic writing is also very much a form of science communication. And how you then convert a full dissertation, which has to tick a whole bunch of boxes for the examiners, for the faculty, uh, for the qualification. Um, it's usually about 150 or so pages, and now you want to take this down into a, a 20 page, give or take, 
document uh, that really captures a very clear story. Um, and so when you approached that, how did you get started? What was your first move that you made towards cutting down 150 pages and turning it into, into a paper? Yeah, I mean, as you say, 150 words to into a, a short communication. And yeah, it was like writing a summary, but still saying the story. Um, so I noticed immediately that converting, you know, taking a paragraph from my dissertation to the document is not going to cut it, right? Because um, my paragraph would have been long-winded and based off one figure or something like that. But now I need to have another example is all the figures you know into one you know which tells the story that i don't have to have 10 figures i can have one or two um and i, I realized that quite quickly along the way when i saw that you have like a maximum word count i think it's six thousand words for words essay and and really you know spending you know you'd have that just in your introduction but probably for your masters um and it was like okay um, another thing was I would always get comments like, you know, you don't need to tell us what the values are. <laughs> uh, you don't need to repeat them, you know, even in a presentation, I learned that quite quickly, like you don't have to go and through each of the, the numbers, people can see the numbers and you need to speak about what that means. Um, and so those kinds of things was like, oh, okay, you, you know, this, this actually makes sense because I've probably been writing way too much anyway probably been writing a lot of long-winded paragraphs and um, I'm not getting to the point quickly enough anyway and so it was a lot of feedback from Chris but I think he eventually just called me and said you know well, you need to write in a way that is you know the least amount of words for the most amount of kind of the story you know you, you know condensed to the point writing and, and just really get to the point of what you're trying to say um was something that was that he really tried to 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 get in into me um and i think it really worked because you know after the first draft he would just you know take that out you know you don't need that take that out take that out um and then maybe he would recommend instead of a paragraph let, let's make a, a a figure to describe this instead of the whole paragraph for example so I think those small things, uh, condensing images, um, word counts, word limits, eventually will get it right. Um, and even after the review process, you even see if someone gives you a, a document that has track changes on it and they say, you don't need to write it like this, or you can leave this out and just have a one or two sentences. It really does make a difference because you've got, I mean, that's the whole point of the peer review process is you've got so many more people looking at your work and helping you make it better, which I, I really appreciated. Um, and then before I forget, um, after the review process was quite distinct how we didn't really do a BACI design or a BACI design. And we actually implemented after the review process that design, which we didn't have before because we, need, we had more time to think about it. So it was quite interesting at the time. Yeah, very, very interesting. And I think really wonderful to be able to see the review process in such a positive light and to see it as not a bunch of people who are out there to rip your paper to shreds but really people who are provoking you to think more critically about what can be done and encouraging you to improve the paper and i think it's really 
very interesting to hear that from somebody who is an early career researcher, because I think for so many of us, when we write our first paper, that review process is what really, really destroys us because it is just um, a process of people criticizing your work and, and tearing it to shreds and telling you to put it back together. Um, and so I do want to speak a bit more about the review process, but I, I first just want to touch on the changing role from Chris being your supervisor of your masters and supervisors at any university have very distinct roles that they fulfill. And there are very clear boundaries that are set in terms of what they can do in terms of um, giving feedback, the amount of feedback they can give, uh, the format of that feedback, and then the boundary between giving feedback and actually writing your dissertation, which of course they can't do but then translating through into being your co-author. And that's quite a different role uh, as being somebody who is co-producing something, an object, a, an output. And you spoke quite a bit about Chris saying to you, let's change this paragraph into a figure. Let's take this out. And I think that really is co-authorship at, at its best is really making an intellectual contribution to the piece of work. But uh, I want you to reflect just a little bit on how you experience that shift in roles from a supervisor-student relationship to, in a sense, being equals who are co-authoring an academic paper together. Yeah, absolutely. So for your masters, you don't, you know, you might get a suggestion, you know, you should write it like this, but no one ever goes and types it for you. And I mean, very seldom they'll rewrite it for you. Um, whereas when it came to the paper, uh, there was even a stage where Chris decided he wanted to add in something towards the end, just to prove, just to point towards the point that we were trying to make. And that was quite cool because then you see how they write and then you see how you write and you think, oh, okay, you know, um, maybe I could, I could get to the point as well, just like he did. Um, and I can add in, you know, these, and he adds it in, I mean, obviously it's making the paper better, I think that's quite obvious for someone that's just beginning versus someone that's uh you know been writing for a long time actually adding to your paper is really cool um and seeing them add it in and you're like oh okay now there's another little piece of this puzzle that we are trying to you know the story that we're trying to say so yes very much in my masters uh, you know chris never did that he would he would always just encourage me and say include this we include that but he let me write it the way i wrote it um and it was very much, you know, on your own, you, you write it and, 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 and that's how you submit it. Um, but it was never, yeah, it was never like physically him writing in, which which definitely changed during the co-authorship because obviously it's his work as well. It's his contribution. Although my name was first on the paper and I wrote it primarily, he did add in stuff and he did edit stuff, which was really cool. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And I think, a very useful process as an early career researcher in navigating these different roles that we play and the different positions that we have as student supervisor, co-authors, colleagues. And as you move through uh, the ranks as an early career researcher, I think those various different hats we wear and different relations we have with people become more and more complex. And it's really good to, to start to engage with that quite early on. So I want to come back to the, the comments you're making about the review process. And it sounds partly like you had a very positive review process in terms of your approach to responding to feedback and receiving feedback. 
but I imagine that's also driven to an extent by some very positive comments that were made by the reviewers themselves. Um, I think perhaps if they had been very harsh, it would be a little bit more difficult to be positive, but perhaps you can reflect on that. What were some of the really harsh comments you received? And then what were some of the really positive ones? And uh, I'm not, not expecting you to read them out verbatim, although you certainly can if you have them in front of you. But um, just to reflect on, on overall what those, those sort of tone and sentiment of, of the review comments were. Sure, yeah, I actually did go through them quite recently. Um, and the, the very first comment was always one of quite positive, you know, that this is a definitely a, a study that needs to be published, which was a, a good thing to read right off the bat, um, subject to corrections, which is okay. I mean, I, I was expecting that completely. Um, but yeah, the first, very first comment was, this is an important study. This, this does tell a story that would, someone would like to, to know about. And, and so that was a good thing. Some of the, some of the not so good comments was with regards to you know, I was trying to explain the process of before, after control impact and the difference between sites and the authors both, I mean, sorry, not the authors, both reviewers really struggled with what I was trying to explain. And that's when we, we made a diagram and that's when we put in a diagram to, to kind of paint a much better picture. Um, uh, a lot of the comments were, you know, a little bit like, uh, sometimes we didn't agree, not a lot of them, but maybe one or two we didn't agree. Um, for example, one of the one of the reviewers asked to, to do a PCI, a principal component uh, an analysis, sorry, a principal component analysis. And I had already done one of those during the masters and it didn't really, it didn't really add anything. So we, we had actually just commented, sorry, we're not going to include it because we don't feel that it adds to the story of this paper. Um, and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't thrown back at us at all. It was just, okay, kind of the, I think the editor just acknowledged that that's what we did. And we didn't really, I mean, we did address it, but we didn't add it in the way it was hoped that I'm guessing they hoped we would. Um, but yeah, a lot of the comments are really positive. Well done, uh, really clear, very nice research design. These kinds of things were, were really important to, to read. and. I was always asked from my supervisor, and I pretty much am always like this. Um, whenever you're doing your, your revision for the comments, they, my supervisor, Chris, and my co, the co-author co in this case, he said to me, Mara, just always thank the reviewer for the comment because they've taken their time out of their you know, schedule to review your work. Um, and just thank, even if the comment is a bit harsh or whatever, and I didn't get many harsh ones, just thank them. Uh, so that every single line, it might have been a bit annoying to read, but it was, thank you for your comment. Thank you for your comment. So. I think you've raised such important points here, uh, particularly for people who are reviewing papers. And as I'm sure you've experienced the moment you've published your first paper, the requests come piling in for you to review papers. And I think both sides of this are so important for us to keep in mind is one, to lead with something positive and I personally, when I submit a review, I always lead with a, a sentence or two that summarizes the paper to really show the person that I did take the time and I've, I've read it and I've understood what they're doing. But I think in addition to that, to say this is worthy of publication or this is a really important study, it's such an important thing to say. And 
we can often jump into reviewing and um, try and get it done as quickly as possible. And we forget to say these things. We think it's obvious to the reader uh, that we do think it should be published because we gave it minor revisions. But for them to actually read that, and as you say, the first line in that email to say, this is worthy of publication, really gives you the strength and the energy to be able to go through some of the more difficult review comments and some of the more harsh review comments. Uh, and so I think that's such an important thing for all of us who are reviewing papers to bear in mind. Uh, but then also, I think your co-author is spot on and your approach is spot on that even when you don't agree with a comment to thank the reviewer for the time that they took to make that suggestion and to recognize that it's it's not even just the physical time of reading a paper and typing up a review, but it's also that mental energy and thinking about what would be a good statistical approach? Would a PCA work? And even if you disagree with them and you think it doesn't, it's recognizing that they took that time to apply themselves and come to the answer of PCA instead of perhaps ANOVA or RDA or any other statistical tool that, that exists. And I think that's really important as well is to remember that the reviewer, if they've taken the time to do this, they're probably doing it with good intention and to really recognize that and look for that good intention and, and recognize that, that they are doing this and putting their time and energy into it for the sake of science, uh, but also more specifically for the sake of your paper and making it the best paper that can be to make a contribution to science, to the academy, to the existing literature base. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and in our comments, in our comments to the reviewers was thank you for highlighting some of these things. And we felt that the paper was a lot stronger thereafter, you know. Yeah. So if we didn't have that review or those reviewers at the time, um, you know, maybe they would have just, you know, they wouldn't have taken that time out. And and so the paper wouldn't have been as good as we thought it be, had become. Yeah, I think that's really, really important to remember and to reflect on. Um, so the last question I have for you, Maro, is what did you learn from the process of writing your first academic paper that has really served you or stuck with you in writing subsequent papers? Okay, so, so I think with regards to the first one, what I really learned was you are telling a story and that story needs to be consistent and very obvious to the reader at every step of the way. Um, and that's really what I took took home. It's 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 not so it's not so scientific in the sense that it's actually telling a story, if that makes sense. Um, so a lot of the time you might read a paper and it, it will just be overwhelmingly, um, you know, complicated. But I, I try not to write that way. I also took that take home. So if it's a storytelling and you're telling the story through the science, I think that's the kind of niche that I want to get into um, and not because I've read a lot of papers that really overwhelm me um, and if I can write something that's clear and cohesive and a story that says this is what's happening and this is you know this is what I'm communicating about that was my main take home and that was what I really enjoyed and that's hopefully what I will produce every sim every publication from now on um, because I think just as we've touched on before, science communication needs to be for everyone, although we are writing for a specific audience, that audience still needs to understand what we've done and appreciate what we've done. And, you know, we might be writing for uh, a human geographer or, uh, you know, a physical geographer, and 
it can be complicated in some cases, but at the same time, your story needs to be quite, quite clear. And that's what I got out of it. No, I think that's a really, really important take home and something that really we should all try to do, which is make sure that our papers are readable and that we're not forcing somebody who is interested in our work to wade through jargon and complicated wording and um, incomprehensible sentence construction. I think that's really, really important. And again, it circles back to seeing academic writing as a form of science communication, that you are trying to tell the story of your study to as wide an audience as possible and to make sure that that is understandable and enjoyable to read uh, rather than just ticking a box and saying, okay, I've turned this into an academic paper. So Mara, I'd, I'd want to say a huge thank you to you for coming onto this podcast and discussing your process of writing your first academic paper. And again, a huge congratulations on that paper. Uh, it really is a massive achievement to have published work from your master's. And thank you for all of the insight that you've given. I think both for people who are writing their first papers, as well as for people who are on the review side, there's some really important take-homes from our discussion today. And so I'd just really like to thank you for taking the time, but also sharing your journey with me and anyone listening to this um, who is interested in writing their first paper or a seasoned academic who's involved in writing or reviewing. You're welcome. It's been really enjoyable. And hopefully this is another form of science communication, right? This is hopefully going to go to someone that would be like, oh, okay. I don't have to be so scared or you know worried about my first publication and i can celebrate it as well so i'm really happy that we got this opportunity that's really wonderful thank you so much maro thank you for listening to this episode of revise rebut and resubmit hopefully it's given you some insight into the process of academic writing and approaching that first academic paper if you've enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more of this show please subscribe to this podcast. A huge thanks again to the Center of Excellence for Paleoscience for supporting this work.